A rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They roamed the hood and challenged authority. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. We have to get them off the streets, they said. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Well, good morning and welcome, and I especially want to welcome those of you that are newer to our church. We have a lot of new people right now, and we're really glad that you found your way here. Also want to welcome those of you joining us this morning from our Farmington Hills campus, and those of you joining us online from places near and far. Uh, we're, we're in a series right now all about Jesus. People who are less familiar with church and less familiar with the Bible often construct stereotypes about Jesus and about Christianity that just aren't true. But we've also found that regular church-going Americans also have constructed stereotypes about Jesus and about Christianity that just aren't true. And we're using as a springboard for these conversations these little advertisements that you've seen on television everywhere over the last year called He Gets Us. These ads are intentionally provocative and they're designed to get people to rethink Jesus. Now the ad that you just saw a moment ago is called The Rebel, The Rebel. And if you're a churchgoer, you might not be entirely comfortable calling Jesus The Rebel because there's part of you and part of me that wants to say Jesus wasn't a rebel, he was a law-abiding citizen. He was upstanding person. Uh, he, he wasn't a rebel. He submitted himself to the will of his heavenly father. He was religious and revered. That's one group of, of thinkers. Another group is saying, I wish that I could believe Jesus was a rebel because that would at least make him more interesting. I've always assumed just because of the followers of Jesus that Jesus was kind of a boring, vanilla, goody uh, guy uh, he, he probably wore khaki pants and a button-down collar, um, uninteresting. And there's yet another group that says, oh yeah, Jesus was a rebel. He was the supreme rebel leading a rebellion. He came to topple global governments and to overturn religion. He was a revolutionary leading a revolt. And all of these are stereotypes. All of them have an element of truth, and none of them are a complete picture. Once you begin to put Jesus into a box, uh, you will find that he defies categories. So we're going to look at one way this morning that Jesus could be considered a rebel. A lot of ways we could talk about that Jesus could have that title, the rebel, but today we're just going to look at one, how he was a rebel culturally, and this is a way that we can give thanks for and celebrate and it's a way that we can actually model in our lives. And that, that is this. Jesus was a rebel culturally in his time and place because of the kinds of people with whom he associated. And those of you that know the Bible well, isn't this why Jesus was always getting in trouble? He was hanging out with people that other people thought he shouldn't be hanging out with. That, that's a rebel culturally in his time and place. And specifically today, we're going to look at the story of the Matthew, the tax collector. You heard the story read earlier, but let's look at it again uh, from the Gospels, from Mark's Gospel. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. 
a large crowd came to him, and Jesus began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Levi, also called Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, I don't suppose tax collectors have ever been popular in any time or place. Um, How many of you, when you filed your tax returns last week, included with them a thank you note of some kind? Uh, This time of year doesn't draw up lots of gratefulness for the IRS. Uh, It might drop gratefulness for our young children, those cute little deductions. They are so... They're so cute. Now, in Jesus' day, it was even worse for tax collectors. Tax collectors were, uh, in Israel, were Jewish people who were cooperating with, collaborating with the Roman occupiers, and they were doing it for their own selfish gain. Tax collectors were considered traitors to their own people, traitors to their own nation. They were the lowest of the low. They could not be trusted. They were considered unclean by the rabbis. They were unclean politically, unclean ceremonially, unclean morally. Uh, They were so hated that the Romans actually had to protect the tax collectors from injury and harm. And if you were a good Jew, you would never go near a tax collector which makes the move of Jesus all the more surprising. I want you to show you a a, a movie rendition, a creative rendition of this story of the calling of the tax collector Matthew from the series The Chosen. So take a look. This is a glimpse of the scripture that we just read. Watch this. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. We 
glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Yeah, if you have uh, not yet discovered this series, The Chosen, uh, you want to find that online. So in this scene, Jesus calls uh, to himself, follow me, he says to Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew is surprised. Did you notice who else was surprised? Everybody. The disciples were surprised. Peter was surprised. And Peter, who was a real scoundrel before Jesus called him, you know, in the movie version, goes to Jesus and says, oh, wait, wait, what are you doing? Do you even know this guy? Right? Peter tries to correct Jesus for his poor judgment. Do you ever try to correct Jesus? Because Jesus was more gracious to someone than you thought that person deserved? You ever want to correct Jesus for his poor judgment? Jesus said to Peter, and he says to us, get used to different. And then uh, the story goes on. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Uh, Luke's gospel says that Matthew threw a great banquet. And it makes sense, I suppose, that Matthew, now that he's met Jesus, wants his friends to meet Jesus too. And so he throws a great banquet. He throws a party and he invites his new friends, Jesus and the disciples, and he invites his old friends, fellow tax collectors and sinners, and he sees how the interactions work out. You might take a clue from Matthew's playbook and host what I've heard referred to as a Matthew party. You throw a Matthew party at your house. You have a barbecue, you have people over for euchre, and you invite some of your friends from the neighborhood and from work who don't yet know Jesus, and you invite some of your Christian friends from church, and you want just enough uh, church people to keep it interesting, but not enough to kill the party. <laughs> and you see what happens with the interactions. Right? We, we tend to keep our social circles quite distinct. I have my work friends. I have my church friends. I have my school friends. Mix it up and see how God uses those conversations. Tell your church friends what you're doing that I've got these great friends from my work, and if God opens the way, I would love to introduce my friends from work to Jesus. But as a first step, I'm going to introduce them to the friends of Jesus. So don't be weird. <laughs> now, it's possible you might be criticized at some point for the kinds of people that you invite to your home or into your social circles. Jesus was criticized for this, and you might be too. This is what the story said, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, what was the question? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Well, first of all, sinners are the only kinds of people you can eat with 
because sinners are the only kinds of people there are, right? The Bible's very clear that everybody is a sinner. That word sinner was actually used as an old archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark. Anybody here ever miss the mark? Right? If we didn't allow sinners in church on Sundays, I'd be here by myself. And, and no, that's not, no, no one would be here, right? That's the point. Everybody is a sinner, and so he who refuses to eat with sinners dines alone. But we have developed in our mind categories of sinners. I think we all do this. Uh, we have got categories. There are the repentant, forgiven sinners. We've all missed the mark. We all have a past, and a lot of us have discovered the forgiveness available through the cross of Jesus Christ and by his blood, and we're saved by grace. Repentant, forgiven sinners, that's category number one. But then there are current sinners, unrepentant, unbothered, snubbing their nose at God, maybe. But remember that everyone who is in, who is in category number one has logged some time in category number two. And Jesus doesn't even seem to recognize the categories. He just invites everybody to follow him. What rattled the observers was that a table is a place of acceptance. And so Jesus inviting people to his table was communicating something both beautiful and troubling. Jesus is associating with sinners in a very public way. Now, I should add that Jesus did not approve of all behavior. Jesus spoke harshly about sin and its dangers. Uh, Jesus held, uh, told people to follow God and to sin no more. When people were around Jesus, I think they did feel conviction. A lot of the teaching of Jesus, as you know, is very convicting. When people were around Jesus, they may have felt convicted, but they never felt condemned. That's our Jesus. The term sinner, while intending to mean people who've missed the mark spiritually and morally, was also used to refer to people who missed the mark culturally. Right? For the Pharisees, sinners were anyone who did not follow their interpretation of the scripture, did not follow their ceremonial laws, or didn't subscribe to their politics. Sinners, then and now, are often defined as much by cultural norms as they are by the laws of God. Sinners get in that category, sometimes not because of the laws of God, that's one type of sinner, they violate the laws of God, but we put people in the category if they violate my own laws, my own cultural customs, my own traditions. I have a category for that too. You saw in this uh, television ad, The Rebel, uh, the, the black and white images, a lot of people with tattoos, and, uh, and I actually... Uh, personally have no tattoos on my body, which will come as a big surprise to no one. Uh, tattoos. Now, why, why don't I have a tattoo? Well, I've never wanted one. I've never had a good reason to get one. But sociologists tell us that those decisions that you and I think we make all by ourselves, free and clear, are actually guided by subtle fears that exists just beneath the surface and may even be subconscious. You gotta look for this. So why don't, don't I have any tattoos? Uh, because I, I've never wanted one. But if I dig a little deeper, I have to admit that at least part of the reason that I have no tattoos is because I am afraid. I'm afraid of needles. 
I'm afraid of commitment. I can't think of anything I'd want on my body till, till the grave. And I'm afraid of what some people in some of my circles would think of me. I grew up in a time and in a church where tattoos were suspect. Tattoos raised eyebrows. Now, my father was a World War II Navy veteran, and he had a tattoo. He had an anchor on his arm. And in my father's generation, only two kinds of people had tattoos, sailors and drug addicts. And if you had a tattoo and you're not a sailor... You were a drug addict. That's my father's generation. And over my lifetime, I saw the culture shift where tattoos became acceptable, but only for certain fringe groups. First, like for hippies, and then for really artistic people. And it wasn't really mainstream accepted. And now culture has moved to the place where tattoos are widely accepted and just fine for anybody who wants a a little artistic expression. And when we say culture, you really have to say cultures plural, because there's not one American culture. There's lots of different cultures within. Every group has their own cultures. Culture culture can be created around different kinds of churches or around politics or music or fashion or ethnicity. And every little group or tribe has cultural norms and expectations. And if you violate the cultural norms and expectations of your little group, there will be consequences. This is Sociology 101. Now, some of you have tattoos, and while you think you made the decision all on your own, you likely were guided by subtle fears as well. What would people in my group think of me? What would I be without a tattoo? What if I don't accept my friend's challenge who said, I'll get one if you get one? And I have a lot of friends who got tattoos just that way. They didn't want to be be seen a coward. My point is that cultural norms and expectations shape our decisions and they keep us in our places, and they keep us with our kind of people. And Jesus had a way of stepping outside the cultural norms and expectations. Jesus had the unique ability to cross cultural barriers, right? He was Jewish, but he befriended Samaritans. That just was not done. He was an Israelite who cared about the Romans, What? He was a male rabbi who invited female students. That'll raise some eyebrows in his time and place. He wasn't concerned about who was considered clean or unclean. He wasn't worried about what people would think about him if he hung out with the wrong kinds of people. He loved indiscriminately. He welcomed unconditionally. He accepted wholly. He was a person of tremendous courage, and he always, always, always operated full of grace and truth. And I want to be more like him. That's our Jesus. When people think of Jesus, do they think of Jesus as exclusive or inclusive? When you think of Jesus, when your friends think of Jesus, do they think of exclusivity? Do they think of inclusivity? I've heard people make a case for both. Jesus said some things that sound exclusive. And a lot of it comes from this verse right here, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus did not say, I am one among many ways. He used the definite article. I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds kind of narrow, narrow-minded. Narrow is a word that Jesus himself used in another gospel. Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The gospel sounds exclusive. The only way to life as God intends is through Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Exclusive. But then when you examine the life of Jesus, you will find that he was the most inclusive person who ever walked this planet. He was the great includer. Yes, the way is narrow, but he invited everybody to it. He said that everybody has access to the kingdom of God. Drug dealer, politician, whether they were polite or pagan, regardless of social standing, ethnicity, or any other identifier. Jesus said to people, Follow me. And he says it to you today. Jesus says, follow me. I know everything about you. I know your sins. I know your doubts. I know your secrets. And I still want you. I still include you. Follow me. And I hope that you will. The invitation from Jesus to follow me is the greatest invitation you will ever receive in your lifetime. But know that once you start following Jesus, Jesus is going to say, follow me, to somebody that you don't think should be included. Somebody you don't think deserves it. And then you and I will learn part of what it means to follow Jesus is to love the people that Jesus loves. And Jesus loves more people than you think he does. We want to live and love like Jesus. Earlier, I recommended this video series, The Chosen. It's fantastic. Now, of course, no movie should replace your Bible. Every movie version takes some liberties or some creative license taken in The Chosen. But I think what they've done with some of those gaps, some of those stretches, are very plausible. They're interesting. And they really make the, the, the story fresh if you're a person very familiar with the Bible. You know, some of you are students of the Bible. You know the Bible very well. And then you read like a, 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 a paraphrase, like the message, and it suddenly, you know, sounds fresh again. I think that's what the chosen does in a visual form. And uh, again, I want to show you one more uh, clip. In, in, the, in the chosen, Matthew carries around this tablet because he's an accountant. And then he records everything that he sees which eventually becomes the gospel according to Matthew. And in the chosen version, Jesus enlists Matthew's help to, uh, to help Jesus in the crafting of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, actually, I don't think it likely happened exactly the way the movie version shows, but this creates a very tender moment between Jesus and Matthew, the tax collector. So let's watch this, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. Matthew. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. <clears throat> 
opening? Yes. What is it? A map. A what? Directions where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes, but how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. And then? You are the salt of the earth. <laughs> we know where to find Jesus. He's with the outcast and the broken and the hurting and the addicted and the marginalized, and the rejected. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And can you imagine a Jesus who was any other way? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the courage of Jesus to cross cultural boundaries to rebel against limited thinking, and to love beyond expectations.
Thank you for the welcoming, inviting, forgiving, grace-filled heart of Jesus. Thanks for accepting us and loving us as we were. Forgive us when we've been guilty of religious pride, when we've operated from a spirit of condemnation instead of a spirit of grace and humility. And God, perhaps there are some here today who would like to turn to you right now, who would say to you in this moment, Dear Jesus, I accept your invitation to follow you. I leave behind my old life and enter into a new one centered in you. You have called me by name. I step out of my small life and its constricting ways and enter into your way. God, we thank you for those who mark this day as a turning moment or as an opportunity to recommit to the Jesus of the Bible. We pray you would help us to walk in your way with courage as people full of grace and truth. We thank you for the goodness of God. This we pray as your people, as forgiven sinners. In Jesus' name we pray.